Today's Skimmed from the Couch is presented by AC Hotels by Marriott. It's a global hotel brand that we are excited about. More on that later. First, let's get into the episode. So in every mistake, in everything that you've done that you regret or that you feel guilty about, look for the message. Because if you can find the lesson in what happened, then you both separate yourself personally from the thing that happened, and you also learn what you need to learn so you don't repeat it. I'm Carly Zakin. I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to Skim from the Couch. This podcast is where we go deep on career advice from women who have lived it, from the good stuff like hiring and growing a team to the rough stuff like negotiating your salary and giving or getting hard feedback. We started the skim from a couch, so what better place to talk it all out than where it began on a couch? Mel Robbins is a world-renowned entrepreneur, best-selling author, one of the most highly paid and booked female speakers in the world. You may know her from her infamous TED Talk and her five-second rule. And now she can also add host of the upcoming daytime talk show, The Mel Robbins Show, to her resume. We are so excited. Mel, welcome to the couch. Thank you. First question, skim your resume. Skim my resume? Do we have time? I mean, I've had like 29 job changes. We're going to skim it. So you had 29 job changes and then you became you. Yes. Yeah, I, I, well, and I think that's an important thing to say, though, because it, too many people think that you're going to pick a career and you're going to stick with it. No, I, so I've been a public defender in Manhattan doing violent felony criminal defense work. I then was part of the dot-com bubble, the first one in 99 in Boston. Then I became a life coach and then the media came calling and I had a short little stint in the media business. And then my husband and I lost it all in a failed restaurant venture. And then I reinvented myself when the five second rule took took off and I've become an entrepreneur and I'm in the media space and that's it. That was a great skim. What's something uh, that isn't on your resume? What's something that we can't Google about you that we should know? I spent a lot of time bartending and um, waitressing uh, during college and summers. And I don't know that a lot of people know that about me. That's a good one. Okay. So we want to just get into the five second rule up front. Give us the background. Tell everyone who might not be familiar with it what it is. So the five second rule is a brain hack that I invented during the worst moment of my life. And you can use it to change any habit or pattern that doesn't serve you. So that could be self-doubt, it could be anxiety, it could be procrastination, it could be um, eating the wrong foods, drinking too much, snapping at your kids, whatever. And the five second rule is very simple. The moment that you feel the self-doubt coming on or you feel yourself coming up with excuses or you feel yourself shrinking, hiding, editing, whatever, just count backwards, five, four, three, two, one. And as dumb as that sounds, the act of counting backwards shifts gears in your brain. And when you count backwards, five, four, three, two, one, you interrupt 
the bad patterns or habits that are encoded in the central part of your brain and requires focus. And so it activates your prefrontal cortex, which is the part of the brain that gives you immediate control over your thoughts and actions. And it sounds implausible that simply counting backwards would help you build confidence, would help you make money, would help you ask for the salary that you deserve, would help you calm your nerves but it works like magic. And I invented it 11 years ago, one night out of desperation. My husband and I were losing everything. I was 41 years old. Never in a million years did I think that after going to law school, having three kids, buying our home, being married, that I would lose everything. But we had invested our entire life savings, our kids' college funds. We had taken out a home equity loan, which I know in your new book is not a form of uh, financing your business that you advise. Um, and you know, it seemed like free money and a good idea. What could possibly go wrong in the restaurant business? And um, it was 2008. And it was a terrible year for a lot of people when the, the recession hit. And we found ourselves $800,000 in debt. And the college savings gone, 401ks liquidated, um, liens started to hit the house, the bankruptcy letters started to arrive. I was so ashamed. I think for me personally, having gone to Dartmouth and having been a lawyer and living in a really nice neighborhood and seeing people that were really successful around us, it drove the the shame and the embarrassment even further, which of course, what do you do when life isn't working? A lot of us reach for stuff that really is destructive. And I started drinking way too much. And I found myself unemployed, uh, fighting with my husband. Uh, I was getting swallowed by the bed every morning. And I invented the five second rule one night because I saw a, a rocket launching on a television commercial and I had had four Manhattans that night. And I think it was because I was plowed that I was like, oh my God, maybe if I launched myself out of bed, I wouldn't get swallowed by the depression and the anxiety. And so the very next morning, it was a Tuesday in February, never forget it. It was a five second moment that changed my life. And I believe that you are one decision away from a completely different life. I mean that. The power of one decision is so profound. And that morning the alarm went off. And when I explain this to you, once you see it, you'll never be able to unsee it. There's a five second window that defines your entire life. It's a moment of hesitation and it is a habit. You have a habit of hesitating. You have a habit of doubting yourself. You have a habit of feeling nervous. And it's a window that opens where for me, the alarm went off that morning and I knew I should get out of bed. And then I started to hesitate and this five second window opened up and this is what defines your whole life. And inside that window is where anxiety comes in. It's where the excuses come in. It's where the fear comes in. It's where you start thinking about what you need to do instead of doing what you need to do. And for whatever reason, thank God, I just started counting backwards because of that commercial the night before I went five, four, three, two, one. And do you remember the movie Ella Enchanted? Yes. Yeah where they put a, she has like a spell. Yes. It felt just like that. I went five, four, three, two, one, and Do I popped it Do you say it out loud? You can. But did you in that moment? Yes. I wouldn't recommend counting out loud in front of other people because you're going to sound like a wackadoodle, okay? <laughs> um, but I, I just went five, and I stood up, and it was the strangest thing. And I literally thought that just, okay, weird. And then the next morning, I tried it again, and the next morning, I tried it again. I started to get really cynical. I think when you're a lawyer... 
you're very, you tend to be kind of cynical. And I'm like, okay, how the hell is this going to fix $800,000 in debt? So you can get out of bed? Right. Who cares? Well, I decided I would use it in any situation where I knew what I should do, but I didn't feel like it. And so the first instance that I used it on that third morning is I walked into the kitchen and my husband Christopher was standing there and he was he had the fridge open and he was, you know, just kind of, I don't know what he was doing, looking for breakfast. And you know how that thing happens where you see the person you love and you want to kill him? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, so poor Chris is standing there, right? And I'm like, <laughs> you know, like just completely triggered emotional freak. And the truth is I didn't want to kill him. I think it's just easier to be angry than it is to be afraid. And I was so afraid that we were not going to get out of this mess. And so I channeled all of that emotion at him because it was easier. But I went five, four, three, two, one to myself and it was weird, like my body settled and I was able to speak to him from a place of my values and from the outcome that I wanted instead of just being hijacked by my emotions. And if you're somebody that's prone to anxiety, that's part of the habit of anxiety is the emotions in your body trigger the negative thought cycle that then escalates everything in your body. And so stopping the thought, stopping the emotional escalation, it settles everything. Did you focus on using it for one specific thing at a time? Or was it just like, this is something I know I should do. And so I'm going to use it. My life was such a disaster that I needed to use it 73 times a day. Five, four, three, two, one, get out of bed. Five, four, three, two, one, don't yell at Chris. Five, four, three, two, one, pick up the phone and call a network. Five, four, three, two, one, do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again. Five, four, three, two, one, don't pick up the bourbon. I was course correcting everything. Did you ever need a 10987654321? That takes too long for me. Okay. Because I start thinking. And then you've interrupted the the quick brain switch. I want to talk through when you started off by skimming your resume and saying that you had like 29 jobs and then you got here. I think when people hear about stories like yours, where you were $800,000 in debt and now here you are today, how did you actually begin that journey to get out of that type of debt? Great question. Um, so the first thing that you do is you face it which most of us don't want to do, right? You know, you you can unplug the phone when the collections calls are coming in. That stops the phone calls, but it doesn't get rid of the debt. And so the most important thing to do, I think, is to face it. So I, we just started calling credit card companies. We started doing whatever it takes to talk responsibly about the fact that we had a massive debt. Now what are we going to do? You face it, you make a plan, The other thing that happened for me is I just took the first job that I could get. Like when you're in that kind of situation, you can't be picky. What was the job? It was uh, a local radio host for a Saturday morning gig. It was $75 for a two-hour radio show. Clearly not going to pay the bills, Mm -hmm. but it was a start. Yeah. And I think so many of us get trapped thinking about it. And then we talk ourselves out of doing anything. And the thing about even just starting with that job as your foothold is now I'm getting out the door. Now I have something to talk about. And that move, that one step forward creates a small amount of momentum that starts to shift everything because now I'm doing something. 
I just think it's so interesting when you started talking, you were talking about the shame. Mm -hmm. And I think so many of us, whether it's financial, whether it's personal, there's something that we feel shamed about. How did you get past that? And what did you learn from that part of the experience? So it's a it's a fantastic question and a really important one to understand. And this has been a profound part of me becoming a person that I actually love instead of surviving the person I didn't like. And it stems from the Maya Angelou quote that I'm going to get wrong, but the way that I say it is when you know better, you do better. And so the thing about shame is I was one of those people before I dove into Brene Brown's work that made the mistake that so many of us make where we confuse guilt and shame. And guilt is when you feel bad about the thing that you did. Shame is when you say, I'm a bad person because of what I did. Mm -hmm. And I lived in that shame loop of constantly um, beating myself up and feeling terrible about myself because I kept reminding myself of all of the bad things I had done or the mistakes that I had made. But I lived in the zone of I must be a bad person because of these things. And when I finally was able to separate the fact that, look, really good people do really shitty things mm -hmm. because they're in pain or they didn't know better. And when you're able to separate the judgment of yourself as a human being and have compassion for yourself and look at the things that you did, and then I do something that I call look for the message in the mess. So in every mistake, in everything that you've done that you regret or that you feel guilty about, look for the message. Because if you can find the lesson in what happened, then you both separate yourself personally from the thing that happened, and you also learn what you need to learn so you don't repeat it. We'll get back to that in a minute, but first let's talk about something that every guest on this show deals with, including us, and that's traveling for business. We calculated we were on like 23 flights a different hotel every night for the month of June. And it was amazing book tour. We're so happy we did it. One of the biggest takeaways is learning about what helps on the road. And a great hotel is like the only thing we wanted at the end of the day. And we found that with AC Hotels by Marriott. AC Hotels, they really built the hotel with a designer's eye. So every hotel is equal parts, just really beautiful to look at. Seriously, look at their Instagram, but also functional. Everything from the guest rooms to the lobby to their lounge are designed to know what you need before you need it. It's intuitive, which is really, really helpful. In the U.S., AC Hotels has over 45 locations in cultural hubs uh, with plans to double that, not to mention their global expansion. So visit AC Hotels at achotels.marriott.com to learn more. How did you figure out how to monetize the five-second rule? Oh, this is the greatest story ever. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell it to you in... I'm going to explain this in two ways. So the first one is you have to understand that the five-second rule um, was an organic phenomenon, and it was not something that I thought about monetizing. Then I will tell you how I became the most booked female speaker in the world and one of the highest paid ones in about four years flat. I'm like, that sounds good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. keep, going. keep okay. going. Okay. So the five-second rule, I never intended to tell anybody about it because, first of all, it sounds stupid. 
Like, how do you explain something like that? So I used it in private for three years. I cold called my way into the radio audition. I went to the audition, even though the excuses were like, that's not going to pay the bills. What the fuck are you like? Five, four, just do it. That show became a weekday show. It became a syndicated show. I won the Gracie Award. CNN saw the Gracie Award. They brought me in. Next thing you know, three years later, from being swallowed by my bed and $800,000 in debt, I am now an honor commentator for CNN with were benefits. You, were you still in debt? Oh, hell yes. Are you kidding? Like, I, I think Chris and I only got it all paid off, like, I don't know, a year or two ago. And so somebody invited me to give a TEDx talk. And uh, they wanted me to talk about career change. I wasn't even planning on talking about the five second rule. And that TEDx talk is the first speech I ever gave. Oh my gosh. I had a 21 minute long panic attack. If you look at my chest, you will see that neck rash that people get when they start getting really stressed out within a minute. Oh my God. And so I forgot how to end the speech. And so I mentioned the five second rule and then I leave the stage and what happened is that talk got put online a year later and people started to email me and I was working at a job at this point. I mean, I wasn't like looking to write a book. I have dyslexia. Do you know how hard it is to write a book? Oh my God. So people started to write to me. I've had a quarter of a million people from 91 oh countries God. email me. Wow. As people are writing, they're going, you know, this is working for PTSD. You know, I'm able to redirect my kid with OCD and who's on the spectrum using this. You know, I've lost a 250 pounds. You know, I'm able to stay sober. We know of 93 people who have written to us who have not committed suicide because they have used the five second rule to stop themselves. Oh my God. Like it, it, mm. it became this avalanche of people reaching out, deeply personal stories. And so I wrote the five second rule out of service to the audience that was growing globally and to answer their questions. I self-published it because I understand the content business and I also know I'm a control freak and I wanted to make sure that if this became my legacy that I owned it, right? You know, I think about Taylor Swift and, and you know, her bullies buying her catalog of music and I can't think of anything worse than somebody owning my life's work and the thing that meant the most to me, which was the five second rule. So that's how, so that's, so I monetized it because, and this is for all of you who want to write a book, hear, hear me right now. You do not need a publisher. And in fact, I would highly recommend that you self-publish, particularly the audiobook, because what most people don't know is if you self-publish the audiobook through Amazon and Audible, most people don't know that Amazon owns Audible, and you use a platform called ACX, if somebody signs up for a free trial on Amazon or on Audible, and they listen to your book first, Audible pays you a bounty of $75. So I've monetized the five second rule, not only through the million copies of books that have been sold and 36 languages it's been translated in, um, but also because I now run on a digital marketing company that runs Ascension funnels all day long against that offer. And so there are so many ways to monetize things that um, rule number one, look at what people are doing, but then broaden your research. Now, let me tell you the story about speaking. So and there's there's a lot of advice that I will unpack in this particular story. So so when the, the TEDx talk started to go viral, people would reach out to me on Facebook in particular and say, hey, I saw that TEDx talk. Would you come talk? 
And for probably 18 months, I would go and speak. And I always thought that in order to get paid to be a speaker, you have to be a celebrity. You have to be a politician. You have to be somebody who has some massive ass platform, right? So I would show up and I would do my little speech, nothing like what I do today, and then I would leave. And it was the Pennsylvania Women's Conference. Hillary Clinton was speaking that year. I was not in the massive 11,000 women room. I was in a breakout session, but it was the largest room I'd ever had to date. It was probably the 11th speech I had given. There were 2,000 women in the room. I leave, I'm at the train station and a woman comes up to me and says to me, oh, Mel, I was in your session. You know, I was also a speaker. I was on a panel in the morning. Do you mind if I ask you a question, speaker to speaker? And I said, yeah, no problem. She goes, did you get your check yet? Oh my God. Yeah, and I was like, check? You got paid for that? And she looked at me and she's like, you didn't? I just, I, I'm sorry, I just assumed. I mean, I was on a panel on a small, you had this huge set like, and I thought, am I a fucking moron? Like, what am I doing? <laughs> and and so instead of, and, and this is a really important thing, that when women screw up, we tend to make it about ourselves. In fact, there's profound research about what happens if you get fired from or laid off from a job if you're a woman. So if a woman gets fired or laid off from a job, based on research, we typically take 24% less salary in the next negotiation. 24% pay cut. Why? Because we think there's something wrong with us. And that's why we got fired. Dudes, they shake it off like, ah, fuck that job. It wasn't the right thing. And so the same thing, like I immediately started going, I must be. And then I'm like, wait a minute. Okay. So I started to try to figure out how do you get paid? I had no idea. And so I made myself this promise. And this is how you start figuring out how to get paid. You ready? ready. It's an amazing trick. I said to myself, the next time somebody calls and asks me to do something, I'm going to use the five second rule and not just say yes, five, four, three, two, one, take a pause and then I'm going to say this. I would love to. What's your budget? And then I'm going to count to five again when they say it. And I'm going to say, I think I could do it, but I'm normally double and I'll see what happens. So the next week, the gentleman who now runs my speaking business called me and his wife had seen my TEDx talk and she was part of Jay Hilburn, the custom men's suiting company. And they were having a conference. She said, could you call Mel Robbins? And, and Darren Powell from Powell Speakers called me and I said, yes, I'd love to. What's your budget? And he said, $10,000. And I dropped the phone. And um, I, I literally was like, holy shit, like people get, <laughs> what? The, the gig was not for, I don't know, a couple months. And so I spent half of that money working with somebody to put together an incredible presentation. And I realized that I wanted to have the kind of speech that was deeply personal, motivating, inspiring, but also included all of these incredible stories. And that became a foundational piece to what I do is sharing what I'm learning through the stories of everybody else so that we demonstrate the impact. And um, I did 47, I, after that speech, Darren started managing my business. I did 47 speeches that year. 
did 111 last year. Oh my gosh. I did 60 this year to cut it off. The biggest audience was 27,000 people in <laughs> oh Vegas. God. I'm now up to $75,000 um, per speech. And um, oh, I'm like sitting here clapping. Yeah, for and you. I'm really fucking yeah. proud of myself. You and, be. I, and I'll tell you though, four years ago, my business partner and I were back in the airplane. We were sleeping in the same room in double beds next to each other at Guess the days who still in. does that. Yeah, hey. you're right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so like I became an entrepreneur and I literally was like, I've got something deeply personal to share that's bigger than me. I'm not going to be a dumbass about how I monetize this. I am not going to sell out in terms of devaluing my worth and what I'm out here doing. And I use the impact that was happening for people around the world as the fuel that drove me. Do you look back at the debt that you had as a good thing that happened to you? I never would have done this if we had not had that massive breakdown. And the message in the mess for me was this, and this is, here comes relationship advice. Um, so my husband and I are gonna be celebrating our 23rd wedding anniversary uh, in a couple weeks. His name is Chris. Thank you. His name is Christopher Robbins. My marriage is the single most important thing in my life, not because I'm defined by him, but because of how much it compliments me. Um, and our marriage was not balanced up until this point because I had a very traditional point of view. I'm, I was super ambitious, but I kind of had that your money's our money, my money's my money. And I married a dude that's a yoga instructor now, and he's deeply spiritual, and he'd rather be out in the woods leading a men's retreat, smoking a joint, than in a suit and tie, climbing the ladder. And when I look back, every single breakdown we had in our marriage was me putting my aspirations on him. And the, the thing for women is that we historically have tended to define ourselves through our relationships. And it matters so much to me to empower women to also define themselves through things that they're doing that matter to them, whether they're paid or not. You know what I'm saying? Is your family, and I include Chris, but also just your, your family, like your family that you grew up with, your friends that you grew up with, are they surprised? What is their reaction to what you've done and how you've come out? You know, ironically, I don't think anyone's surprised. Are you surprised? Um, I think the thing that I'm surprised by is how much I've grown as a person and how much I've learned to really like myself. I hated myself. Like I, I, I had a 25 year battle with anxiety um, Do you still battle anxiety? Nope. I've been no, not at all. I don't. I, I want to talk about that. How? Okay. Because <laughs> we both we both have anxiety, and uh -huh. we've definitely looked at different ways to handle it. I think admitting it is something that it even took us a, a long time to do and talk about it like this. What helped you? Well, let me ask you what how how would you describe the anxiety that you struggle with? Um. I think for me, I have anticipatory anxiety. Okay. So if I know something is coming up, I am nauseous until it happens. And the bigger thing it is um, in my life or at work, the more it, I, it builds up. Uh -huh. um, and then it 
it manifests itself physically a lot. So like the example I always give is like our first TV appearance. I was dry heaving on the bathroom floor <laughs> until it I was actually- laugh, but No, I but I mean I, yes. I mean, I laugh about it too. Because uh, Danielle was like, get off the fucking floor. But um, we, then in the moment, I was totally fine. Mine is much more uh, about control. And I know that control is an illusion. Like when we think about all of the things that can happen or will happen, we have some control over it, but not really in the grand scheme of things. And so I grasp way too hard at times to control things. Gotcha. So um, I'm going to address both of those forms of anxiety differently. This interview really switched, mm-hmm. by the way. But we're <laughs> yeah, we're gu- we're guests on the Mel Robbins yeah. show, <laughs> the podcast before her new talk yeah. show. Because <laughs> I well, because the thing is, is that I'm busy managing myself right now because I mean hosting a daytime syndicated talk show 175 shows a year I mean it's no joke no and there's so much out of my control but what is in my control is what I allow myself to think about and when you realize that you can choose what you think about you do not have to allow room for the anticipatory anxiety you don't you can train your brain to do something different. You can catch the pattern because what happens with anxiety is anxiety becomes a coping mechanism. It's actually not a disease unless you have some diagnosed disorder that's gone out of control. It's a habit that you've developed to cope with something. And so a lot of times when you hear people talk about anxiety and it's around control issues, when you start to trace back what happened to you that had you start to develop worrying, as a, as a way of coping is you start to realize, holy shit, like anxiety is my strategy whenever I feel like things are out of control or when I worry, because what happens when you worry? People tend to reassure you. People tend to rescue you. And the other thing that happens is that you start to focus on the worrying, which gives you a false sense of control. And it deflects you from having to deal with the thing that you're worried about. And so it's a brilliant strategy because it works. And I used it forever for that same way. Anticipatory anxiety, um, it's really about what I call um, thinking this, not that. So you need to develop a substitution diet for your brain. Now, what happened with me, and I'll just tell you this briefly for context, and then I'll give you both something that you can do. So um, what happened for me is when the five-second rule started to go crazy and the speaking career started taking off and these profound stories came in, Mel, I didn't jump off a ferry, pediatrician's writing, holy cow, this is working in a consult with a kid who has anxiety. I mean, it was amazing. And I started to feel that imposter syndrome. I am not a worthy messenger. I'm only using this to make money and to not snap at my kids and to stop drinking after two glasses of wine. And then I pop a Zoloft. What? I, and I said, if I'm going to go out in the world and I'm actually going to be the face of teaching people the power of making a five second decision and encouraging you that, yes, you can change your life and you can start doing it right now. I better take a look in the mirror and deal with the bullshit I'm scared to deal with. And that is anxiety. I'd been taking Zoloft for 25 years, you guys. When my first daughter, who's now 20, was born, that's the only time I didn't take Zoloft, I had such severe postpartum depression that I couldn't be left alone with her for eight weeks. My parents drove from Michigan to Boston to sit with me so Chris could go back to work. 
So when it comes to mental wellness, I've lived the nightmare. And I was terrified to go off that pill. But what I started doing is I started saying, I'll tell you what, I'm going to start with my thoughts. And I'm going to interrupt any thought that is negative or that's a worry or that starts to have me spin that sort of worry what if loop, right? And I would have my thoughts drift and I'd be like, oh my God, I haven't heard from Chris in like an hour. Is he dead? What? Five, four, three, two, one. I'm not going to think about that. Oh my gosh, you know, I've got this big call coming up and they want to lower the price. Five, four, three, two, one. I'm not even thinking about that, right? And I, one thought at a time, started interrupting all of the negative shit that I was saying to myself. And first of all, I was profoundly surprised. The experts estimate that 80% of the 50,000 thoughts you have a day are negative. And negative self-talk is at the heart of anxiety. And the worries that you allow room for are at the heart of anxiety because there's two kinds of worries. There's a productive worry, and that's a worry that makes you actually take action, and a destructive worry, which is rumination. And when you allow yourself to just ruminate, now what happens is as your negative thoughts go, you start to trigger agitation in your body because your thoughts make your body feel like something's wrong. And then of course, what happens when your stomach starts to tingle, your thoughts get worse because you think the sign of your stomach th tingling is now somehow evidence that, what, that the first taping of my new talk show is gonna be horrible, right? So, Interrupting the negative thoughts, really important. So for you, what works is you need to use what I call anchor thoughts. And I'm going to give you a little bit of science. So it's really important for you to understand the science of nervousness and anxiety. Nervousness and anxiety, when you look at it medically or physiologically, it's the exact same thing in your body. Exact same thing. I mean, if you think about a situation that makes you nervous or, or, or excited, your stomach's in knots, your armpits sweat, your hands get clammy, your throat gets tight, you know, whether it's because Beyonce is about to come out on stage and oh my God, I'm so excited. Or you're about to go on a television show or negotiate a salary increase and you're quote nervous. Physiologically, it's the same thing. And they studied this at Harvard Medical School. This is research that's only two years old. And what they realized is that if the body state is the same, and most of us screw up if we're nervous or we torture ourselves with nausea, right? Um, I wonder if you could trick somebody's brain and body into thinking you're excited if you're nervous. And I wonder if it impacts performance. And they figured out at Harvard Medical School, you actually can. And the trick is so simple and stupid, it's, it's unbelievable. But all you have to do is start saying to yourself in a situation that makes you nervous is, I'm really excited. And what happens, because they tested this with students, Every single student that was told to say, I'm excited before a standardized test or in a negotiation competition or track meet ran faster, perform better. And the reason why is medical. If you start thinking shitty thoughts, a shitty substance goes through your body. It's called cortisol. When cortisol, the stress hormone, hits your prefrontal cortex, it impairs your ability to focus. So the reason why we screw up when we're nervous has nothing to do with preparation or ability. It's because you've allowed your own negative thoughts to trigger cortisol to hit your prefrontal cortex. And that's why you forget what you're supposed to do. That's why things get worse. And so there's a medical reason why it's important to say I'm excited because you stop the flow of cortisol. Now, here's the second piece for you. Anything that you're worried about in the future, come up with an anchor thought. 
An anchor thought is anything related to what you're doing that makes you excited. So a quick example is for people who are nervous to fly. Yes, go uh, on. Okay. I used to be terrified to fly. Panic attacks on planes, the whole nine yards. I would send Christmas presents ahead if we were traveling. I'd want Chris and I to fly separately, like completely out of my mind about this. Um, before you are going on your trip, where's the next place you're flying? Um, Croatia. Vacation. Oh, fantastic. Are you nervous yes. flyer? Yes, okay. I am very. What you're going to do before you get on the plane is think about the thing that you're most excited to do. What is it when you get to Croatia? Like, tell me about a place or like sleep. a vision. Okay, sleep. Are you on a sailboat? Are you? No, but I'll be on the beach. Okay, so I want you to picture yourself waking up from the most amazing nap on the beach and the view. And here's what's going to happen. When you get on that plane and you feel the nerves kick in, you're going to literally go five, four, three, two, one to engage your prefrontal cortex. And then you're just going to say to yourself, I'm so excited to sleep on that beach. And you're going to visualize yourself. And what's amazing is that it's like a robust way to use the Harvard Medical School research because your mind goes, whoa, 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 wait a minute. She's not nervous about crashing on the way there. She's super excited to be there. And because it relates to what you're doing, your body believes it. You know, I just knocked on wood when you said that. Really? Yeah, yeah I did too. But I'm going to try it. Oh, definitely try it. You yeah. might have to do it 17 times yeah. on the flight. To start. Yeah. And you'll notice your body grounding down. Because the reason why you're getting nauseous is because when you start to worry, so what's something you're worried about right now that you're willing to share? Uh, we have a board call next week. Terrific. So um, if you start thinking thoughts about it, like what if they ask this or what if this, um, your mind as it's going into anticipatory anxiety is setting you into a state of preparation. Like you're getting ready for battle mm -hmm. for the call, right? Mm -hmm. And when you go into a state of preparation, your body goes into a response where it goes hyper alert. So that means all the blood goes to your major organs because back in the day when we were, you know, cavemen and women, when you were hyper alert, it meant you might have to run. And so a couple things happen when you start to have anticipatory anxiety. First of all, your stomach starts to gurgle. The reason why is if you're about to do something that requires focus, you don't need to be digesting food. Your blood went to your brain and your heart. So the chemistry in your stomach just changed. You're not nauseous. You might feel nauseous, but then when you feel nauseous, you go, oh shit, the board call. But if you go, oh, interesting. I've just pulled the blood to my heart and my brain and now my stomach's gurgling. Doesn't mean anything about the call. The reason why people have to pee right before they go on television or do Every a pot. Every time. Every right. time. You yeah. know why? If you have a full bladder, you can't run very fast from the saber-toothed oh, tiger. Huh. And so your body's getting ready to be in its best state to perform. That's why that happens. But we make it mean that something's wrong. Isn't it fascinating? So this is the sound of us ripping up our interview questions. <laughs> we are. So we've yes. got we've got one block left that we are gonna do. Um, this is amazing. Thank you. Um, this okay. is our lightning round. You have to answer as quickly as possible. Okay. Um, first job. Uh, paper up. Worst job. Ugh, working at this like analyt Google Analytics firm. <laughs> Dream guest for your new talk show. Oh. Um, Carly I, and Danielle. <laughs> yes. 
No, yes. after, no, no, after, no, no, after us. After us. Um, I have a dream of loading an entire plane full of people that have not seen family members in a decade because they're afraid to fly. And then guess who's the stewardess? Stop it. On the jet blue plane. Stop it. Miss Mel Robbins. Yes, that is like a dream show for me. Oh, and another I'm gonna yes. cry. Oh, Your show's God. gonna be great. Yes, I hope so. so. Yes. And if not, then whatever. Like you know what I mean? Like I here's one thing I also want to say quickly. And interrupting your lightning round. You're not good at this game. No one, you're not defined by what you do. Like what gives me a lot of peace of mind, because I'm practicing the tools that I'm giving you. I could be flipping the fuck out right now about the fact that I'm eight days away from taping this. But the truth is I'm not defined by what I do and neither are you. And if you realize that everything that you're about to do has a lesson in it that you're meant to learn, that's going to carry you to the next thing that you're meant to do you give up your attachment to how things are going to go. And it allows you to just show up. Who's your mentor? Um, I mean, the person I admire the most, I think, is Oprah Winfrey in the media business. Do, do you know her? Like, no, never met her. What drives you? Impact. I'm out to make a huge impact in people's lives. What's the biggest way you de-stress? Uh, I take a bath every night. What's the last show you binge watched? Uh, Game of Thrones. Oh, uh, The Bachelorette, too. <laughs> what the fuck? Why did she not pick Tyler? I mean, come yeah. on. Okay, go ahead. Proudest moment. Right now. I'm so proud of I Like, I'm going to get choked up. I'm so proud of myself. You for should, like You should be. Just clawing my ass out of the situation that we were in and becoming a better person. It's amazing. What do you think you taught your kids? Own your shit pursue your dreams, and um, become a better person. I think that's a great way to end. Um, Mal, we've enjoyed being a guest on your show today. Yes! <laughs> we, we can't wait to be a guest on your new show. I can't wait to have Everyone you. check out Mel's new TV show. Um, we are so excited for you, and congratulations on everything. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another episode of Skim from the Couch. And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day. Sign up at theskim.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M dot com. Two M's for a little something extra. 